0: I will read verses 1 through 16, and then uh, verse 28, and as Jay did last week, I'll just point out that my text is the whole chapter of Ezekiel 44, That uh, these uh, verses uh, really summarize the message of that. Ezekiel 44, 1 through 16. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall remain shut, it shall not be open, and no one shall enter it, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered it, therefore it shall remain shut. Only the prince may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord, He shall enter by the way of the vestibule of the gate, and shall go out by the same way. Then he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. And I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord, and I fell on my face. And the Lord said to me, Son of man, mark well, see with your eyes, and hear with your ears, All that I shall tell you concerning all the statutes of the temple of the Lord and all its laws and mark well the entrance to the temple and all the exits from the sanctuary and say to the rebellious house to the house of Israel thus says the Lord God O house of Israel enough of all your abominations in admitting foreigners uncircumcised in heart and flesh to be in my sanctuary, profaning my temple, when you offer to me my food, the fat and the blood. You have broken my covenant, in addition to all your abominations. And you have not kept charge of my holy things, but you have set others to keep my charge for you in the sanctuary. Thus says the Lord God, no foreigner, uncircumcised in heart and flesh, of all the foreigners who are among the people of Israel, shall enter my sanctuary. But the Levites, who went far from me, going astray from me, after their idols, when Israel went astray, shall bear their punishment. Then shall the ministers in my sanctuary, having oversight at the gates of the temple and ministering in the temple, they shall slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before the people to minister to them because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel. Therefore I have sworn concerning them, declares the Lord God, and they shall bear their punishment. They shall not come near to me to serve me as priest, nor shall nor come near any of my holy things and the things that are most holy, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations that they have committed. Yet I will appoint them to keep charge of the temple to do all its service and all that is to be done in it. But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept the charge of my sanctuary when the people of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall approach my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. And then, verse 28, which summarizes the middle section of these verses This shall be their inheritance. I am their inheritance. And you shall give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. Heavenly Father, blessed our understanding the reading and the exposition of your infallible their word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jay, may... The last the most important point about the temple uh, last uh, uh, of the temple vision of Ezekiel in uh, Sunday morning and Sunday evening when he said it was fulfilled by Christ uh, that is the most important thing that you need to understand when you come to these uh, chapters at the end of Ezekiel Um There are almost as many opinions about the exact meaning of these verses among biblical scholars as there are biblical scholars. (laughs) Um, The ESV commentary that I often uh, consult um, and commend it it to you for the most part. you should always read every commentary critically and, and stick mainly to the text of Scripture and seek what God says to you through the Scriptures, but it's helpful to consult others. And uh, the ESV um, Bible study notes said this is these four chapters at the end of Ezekiel, or these uh, eight chapters at the end of Ezekiel describing the temple are the most difficult are among the most difficult, if not the most difficult, uh, to discern in the whole Bible. And that's quite a statement. I, my uh, conviction is that the main things about the scriptures are the plain things, and I think there are some plain things here that we can certainly understand when we remember the whole context of the book of Ezekiel and and Ezekiel's main purpose going back to the first chapter of Ezekiel what was Ezekiel's what was God's purpose in revealing himself to Ezekiel and that is to see the glory of God a vision of the glory of God And what unfolds in these chapters is this astounding vision of a temple. Now, the difficulty arises in in, what what is this temple? Some say it was the temple that Zerubbabel should have built in the book of Ezra. And that's why the people wept when they saw the temple That was rebuilt in Ezra's day, that it did not uh, come close to this temple. Uh, Not even Herod's magnificent remodeling of that temple, that was said to be one of the wonders of the world at the time of Christ, comes close to the dimensions of this temple. Some say this is a temple that will be built. Uh, in the millennial reign of Christ, um, perhaps. Some say it is a vision of, of um, uh, w- which we should interpret spiritually. I won't even pretend to give you a straight answer if you, from, about that because I, I simply don't know. But what I do know is what Jay said so well last week is that Jesus is the temple. That Jesus uh, and his people are the temple and that God is building his, his church into a glorious temple. And at the end of history, if you read the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, you will note that there is no temple in heaven because the Lord and his people are the temple. So... That is the most important point. So I say all that by way of introduction. I believe we are to read and apply every single word of the 66 inspired books of the Bible to our lives. And I, I think the best way to apply these verses as is, as is the, whole, as the best way to apply the whole Bible But particularly these difficult chapters and verses in Ezekiel, the the way that we should look at them is as as a blueprint. As a plan. You'll notice if you read the details, if you go through the details of the temple, you note that it is mostly a two-dimensional drawing. There are very few heights in any of these buildings. The only thing that, uh, that are given heights are the are the, are the walls. Everything else is just two-dimensional, like a floor plan. So that in itself should be something of a hint. And what is it a blueprint for? It is a blueprint for a house of worship for the glory of God. It is a blueprint for us to recognize the importance of worship. Chapter 44 is about entering into worship. And we're pointing to a prince. And the question arises, is this the prince that has been referred to previously, which was obviously uh, David and, 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 and David's heir, which obviously completely pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ and his fulfillment of this scripture as of all as well as all of scripture and yet we read to the next chapters and we see in 45 and 46 we see that this prince offers sacrifices for atonement for his own sins so it's difficult to say that this prince is the lord jesus because he had no sin he was pure and spotless so we can't say that this prince is the Messiah as emphatically as we can say he is in chapter thirty-four of Ezekiel and chapter thirty-seven of Ezekiel when David is explicitly called the prince. This is another prince. Scholars think that he's the, the second <clears throat> priest in charge of the temple. Uh, incidentally, in Hebrew, that word is sagan. I don't claim anything. <laughs> that he he was the one that had the right to go into uh, the temple at the command of the king. What I will say is this, even if he was a lowly servant, public servant, public uh, servant, he is no doubt a type of Jesus we'll never go wrong in Sunday school class young people remind you again the way to be an A student in Sunday school is say Jesus and you're almost always right (laughs) about the Bible he is a type just as surely as the temple is a type of all the people of God who will worship Jesus forever in heaven this prince is a type of Jesus He's told very specifically that he should. Uh, he alone has access to the gate, but he doesn't go straight through the gate. He has a little vestibule over to the side that he goes around the gate, that he goes in. And therefore, uh, this gate is open only to the Lord. Only the Lord can enter this gate. And only this particular officer can sit in the presence of the Lord and eat. At tables, fellowship with the, the Lord. The <clears throat> entryway into the presence of God is shut up only to the Lord Jesus. And his people who are in Christ. And I think this is a picture of the gospel. How do we come to table felt? We have the Lord's Supper before us, as we do all, most Sundays, either morning or evening. It is a, who can come to worship at his table? Those who ha- we, we heard in the psalm, those who have uh, clean hearts, pure hands and clean hearts. How do we have, they can enter into his presence, Psalm 24, the whole Psalm 24 is about entering into the presence of God to worship. How does that take place? It takes place by being in Christ. It takes place by having a relationship to the living God. It takes place because you have a relationship with the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Gods. And because you do, you are a royal priesthood as well. It says so in First Peter 2, 9. You're called as, God, as a member of God's church, as one of his people. You are called a royal priesthood. And you have special privileges to have table fellowship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In writing about um, the abuse of the, of the Lord's table in, first, in the book of First Corinthians, Rabbi Paul, who became the Apostle Paul, Rabbi Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, uh, Tells, tells the people of Corinth, consider the people of Israel in chapter 10, verse 18. Remember the people of Israel. Those who eat the sacrifices, don't they participate in the altar? And he's talking about coming to the altar of the Lord's Supper and how it was being abused. You, some were going over here and having table fellowship. Some were going over here and having table fellowship. Uh, and and no, they were to come together uh, as a body of believers in Corinth to have table fellowship with the Lord. You can't have table fellowship with the idols of this world. He was saying, and table fellowship with the Lord. You can't eat the cup of uh, drink the cup of of idols. And then have fellowship with the Lord. Only those who have the royal privilege to enter can enter. And if you were a child of God by faith and trust in Christ alone, and if you are you were demonstrating that through, through trust and him alone and repentance, then you were invited to come and sit at the king's table. We see that the people, secondly, we see that the people had profaned the temple worship by setting idols in front of uh, the priest. uh, The Levitical priests were forbidden from table fellowship because they had set idols in front of the people. He tells uh, Ezekiel to mark the entryway, to make the entryway to the temple plain. And it's really interesting to me to look at that. Um, make sure you have the exits and the entrances uh, well marked. You know, that's building code today, right? <laughs> If you read any uh, any um, books about church management, which I rarely do, but occasionally I do? They always talk about signage. You know, you gotta have a good signage. You know, you know our exits are well marked. You get on an airplane, they always make sure you're able. If you're sitting near an exit door, you're able to take the door off. Always, always get nervous when they say that speech. But it's important to know. Where the exits are, it's important to know where the entrances are, Mm -hmm. and 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 so it is in the temple. It's important to know how you can come in and how you can leave for the worship of God. That privilege of of entrance and exiting had been abused. By the Levites, and because their sin was so great, the majority of the Levites no longer had the privilege of bringing the sacrifices to the table themselves. I think there's a very important point of application here in terms of the ministry. Um, Again, as we said in our confession of faith on repentance, there's no sin uh, so great that it can't be forgiven. But sometimes there are sins that are that by especially ministers of the gospel that are so great that they are disqualifying. And that's exactly what we see here. These Levites weren't excluded from the temple. In fact, they were given a job, an important job, to guard the exits and guard the entrance. And to, uh, to be a doorkeeper, as Psalm 84 says, to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. But they were not allowed the ministry of the table. We live in an age where we have, in the desire to grow the church, we have this incredible uh, desire to bring people in, and that's the right desire. But we want to bring people into the church according to the right means. And the right means is through the entryway. And what is the only right entryway into the presence of God? The only right entryway is through the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith and trust in him alone and the salvation that is offered in him alone. The entryway is well marked. The Lord Jesus even describes himself as the gate through which we come in and have fellowship with him, in which we go out into the world to be a witness for him. They had broken faith with God and therefore had been disqualified from the ministry of the altar. Um, There are disqualifying sins for a service. We need to note that. We also need to note that coming to the presence of the Lord and coming into fellowship with the church means making a what we call a credible profession of faith. We, it's not a secret how you join here. It, though it seems kind of hard, we don't have an uh, altar call. We don't have. We we try to make it known that what you need to do if you want to become a, an official member of covenant church you need to come and meet with our elders and hear and share your testimony of how you came to faith and, in christ alone and are seeking as a as a as a um, uh, result of that to live as a follower of jesus christ to be his disciple and and we we take sinners of all kind into our membership who are able to make that confession of faith but sometimes in our zeal to go members, we, we, we uh, in the visible church, admit people who aren't sheep, who need shepherding. We admit goats who are under judgment. In our anxiety to, to, uh, to have more sheep, that we accept goats who have no interest in the church and who will end up in final judgment. I, I, will, I will say about our, our session here, we seek very uh, diligently to examine a person's testimony that they're a child of God. But the truth is a child of God cannot sit comfortably in a place where maybe, you know, there may be members who are unconverted, but the worst thing is to have ministers Who are unconverted. One of the fathers of the Presbyterian Church in the United States was a man named Gilbert Tennant. You should look him up, Gilbert Tennant. He famously gave a sermon entitled, The Dangers of an Unconverted Ministry. And the results that that it brought about, and just as dangerous as to having unconverted members who come and eat and drink judgment on themselves, it's a danger, even a greater danger. And this is why uh, uh, there's this judgment on the Levites. uh, Unconverted ministers not preaching the gospel because they don't know the gospel and have never apprehended it themselves. See, the punishment of these unconverted priests is that they are set aside because of they, they brought in idol worship. They allowed, remember uh, back in Ezekiel, they, they brought idols to the door of the temple. And they made people bow down to idols before they could come into the temple. They, they obviously repented and they were given a place of service, but it was not at the front, at the altar. I'll never forget coming to Arkansas 40 plus years ago when I was serving as a youth director in Little Rock, and there was an incredible scandal at one, not in the church that I was serving, but another very prominent Reformed church in which one of the ministers had been caught in a flagrant uh, sin, in the church, no less. And and rather than stepping aside from the ministry, that man continued. In the ministry and destroyed that church, damaged the testimony of of, uh, the, that, uh, of of Christ. He was a prominent scholar and Bible's teacher, and it uh, it, it reverberated in such a way that it it totally uh, disgraced himself and the church. There are disqualifying sins that occur. Uh, The Bible's very plain, James chapter three, verse one, it says, let not many of you become teachers. Uh, We have have an overabundance of uh, ministers in our our present denomination. And I wonder if this verse is ever heeded. Not let not many of you become teachers, lest you incur a stricter judgment. And as I've grown older in the ministry, I understand more and more what that means. This text is telling us what it means. The Levites are set aside; their ministry is given to a set of the Levites, and that is you know, verse fifteen: the sons of Zadok. <laughs> David Zadok, you know, in Israel, I wonder if he's, he's going to be the the priest in the new temple. I'm just kidding. It, it's a very uh, ordinary Jewish name as well. It uh, it means righteousness. And so uh, the priest, the line of duke goes back to David. They were loyal to David when when he had the battle with Saul. Uh, and, and the... Um, turmoil that took place when Solomon succeeded um, uh, David and then later on when Solomon died and the kingdom was divided between north and south it was the the priests of the line of Zedok who were loyal to the temple worship and because of that they had this family blessing upon their line of priests, priests their righteousness was not based on their family name even though it's such a wonderful name for priests righteousness the priests of righteousness think of that a godly generation we're not guaranteed that our that our next generation is going to be godly we need to realize that we pray for it we we do all the things that we what we do at the baptism and our dedication of our children to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and all the means that God has appointed. But We need to remember that's no guarantee for anyone. Only the sovereign God saving us is the guarantee. Only the Lord can change a sinner's heart. Only the Lord can keep our children from falling away. Only he can bring them from the dead to life. Faithfulness to God depends not on human effort, but on the power of God to produce faithful servants to serve in his temple. The priests had no portion. If you read through this, you see they had no portion. In in the land that that goes back to Numbers that goes that's true of all the Levites uh, and and I'm going to get into a little bit next week about the apportionment of the land which is so different in Ezekiel and even the whole feast system is totally different in Ezekiel so there's so much to figure out here I still and I haven't done it yet and I may not <clears throat> but the application. <laughs> uh, Is extremely important, and that is this. It's verse 28. This shall be their inheritance. This is the Lord speaking. I am their inheritance, and you shall give them no possession in Israel because I am their possession. This is just a restatement of the law about all priests. find the exact same thing in the book of Numbers when the priesthood is outlined. But again, what is true of the the priesthood of the Old Testament is true of the believer today. (coughs) This is the language that the Apostle Paul uses in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then verse 14, speaking of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened by the gospel, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints. I would ask you in closing, where is your inheritance? What are you depending on for your life? And if it's anything in this world, it will fail. If your inheritance is reserved in heaven, it will never fail. It will never be taken away from you. And you will live in the riches of that glorious inheritance forever. I'd ask you to search your heart even now. And and answering that question, where's your trust? Where is your treasure? Where is your confidence? Is it in Christ alone? If not, I urge you to repent and believe and put your faith in him alone. Let us pray. Father, forgive us for always looking down at this earth and the things in it. Turn our hearts away from the world the satisfaction of our own flesh. Turn our hearts to the Lord Jesus who alone can meet our ultimate need which is to be in your presence. Thank you for this opportunity to the ordinary means of grace to read your word, apply it uh, uh, to our hearts. If there's anyone here who's yet to come to understand that Jesus is their inheritance. Nothing else matters. May in this moment, they believe it and receive it. And be filled with the joy unspeakable, which is the result of, of the blessed hope that we have. We ask for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's us not worship.